you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 25, and we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, and we are going to get through Isaiah today. And in the coming weeks, we're going to also recap uh, the book of Isaiah, so I, I hope you'll be back because Isaiah's got 66 chapters, so there's a lot of ground to cover in this book, and we're going to cover a lot of ground today. So as you turn in your Bibles, if you want to kind of dog year, maybe Isaiah 25, 65, and 66, because we're going to be kind of doing a little bit of a Bible sword drill type thing. We're going to be going back and forth a little bit. Um, but Isaiah uh, chapter 25 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to invite you to remain seated today because we've got a lot of verses to cover. Um, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a break today. But Isaiah chapter 25, we're going to start with uh, verses 6 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheep covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. On that day it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. And then if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 65, we're going to look at verses 17 through 25. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be born as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. And then Isaiah chapter 66. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who is humble, submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. And skipping down to verse 7. Before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before she was in pain, she delivered a boy. Who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day or a nation be delivered in an instant? Yet as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her sons. Will I bring a baby to the point of birth and not deliver it, says the Lord? Or will I who deliver close the womb, says your God? Be glad for Jerusalem and rejoice over her, all who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all who mourn over her, so that you may nurse and be satisfied from her comforting breast, and drink deeply and delight yourselves from her glorious breast. 
For this is what the Lord says, I will make peace flow to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flood. You will nurse and be carried on her hip and bounce on her lap. As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. You will see, you will rejoice, and you will flourish like grass. Then the Lord's power will be revealed to his servants, but he will show his wrath against his enemies. Look, the Lord will come with fire. His chariots are like the whirlwind to execute his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment on all people with this fiery sword, and many will be slain by the, by the Lord. Those who dedicate and pure themselves, purify themselves to enter the groves following their leader, eating meat from pigs, vermin, and rats, will perish together. This is the Lord's declaration. Knowing their works and their thoughts, I have come to gather all nations and languages. They will come and see my glory. I will establish a sign among them, and I will send survivors from them to the nations, to Tarshish, Put, Lud, who are archers, Tubal, Jabin, and the coast and the islands far away, who have not heard about me or seen my glory. And they will proclaim my glory among the nations. They will bring all your brothers and all the nations as a gift to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters and on mules and camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring an offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will remain before me, this is the Lord's declaration, so your offspring and your name will remain. All mankind will come to worship me from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. As they leave, they will see the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, for their worm will never die, their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth uh, be seasoned with salt. May it give grace and hope to those who hear today, Lord. And I ask these things in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. When you hear the term rendezvous with destiny, what comes to mind? Kind of captures the imagination a little bit, right? Well, when I when I hear this term, I think of a, a couple different things. When I was preparing this message, this this, this term rendezvous with destiny uh, kind of came to mind. And the first one being uh, an army guy, I think of the 101st Airborne, and the first division commander for the 101st Airborne. He used this phrase uh, to to kind of you know galvanize his men and, and encourage them for the road ahead. And if you know anything about the 101st Airborne, they were formed during World War II, and actually their first mission was uh, D-Day, uh, June 6, 1944, which we just celebrated the 75th anniversary of uh, about a week and a half ago. But he told his men, we don't have a history like a lot of other Army units, you know, uh, that have been around for over 100 years. But we have a rendezvous with destiny. We are going to make our mark on history. And that was, that was the, the terminology he used to, to uh, kind of to rile up his guys. And they did. I mean, they, they set the conditions for the men who stormed Omaha Beach and Utah Beach. And they, they have a, a, a fantastic legacy of, of making their mark on history and uh, doing great things uh, to promote freedom. And the second uh, way I thought about this term is you know, the term of rendezvous with destiny. I thought of Ronald Reagan. And if you know anything about Reagan, uh, Reagan gave a speech in, in the 1960s. It was called The Time for Choosing. And he, he used this term to, to, to really kind of galvanize support um, for the road ahead and confronting the Soviet Union, which he later uh, termed the evil empire. But there was a time in our history during the Cold War where many were 
you know, there were many proponents that said, you know, we, we, we just need to kind of you need to get along with the Soviet Union. And there was this, this, this strain of appeasement. And so Reagan was staunchly opposed to that. He said, we have to stand and reaffirm our principles that made us a great nation. We have to continue to be a beacon of light and hope for the world, sitting on a hill. And so he said, we have a rendezvous with destiny. We have a choice. And this choice is going to impact our, our kids and grandkids. Um, will we step up and you know, take sometimes the harder road of confronting evil and boldly standing up to uh, our enemies, or will we, we surrender? And so he said this time of choosing is, is really a rendezvous with destiny. Well, as I looked at this passages, um, I, I thought of this term uh, because I think there's, there's four rendezvous that we see here. And if you know anything about the, the word, the background of the word rendezvous, it's a French word. Uh, high school French coming through for a little bit there. Um, but we have, uh, it, it comes, really the root is um, uh, to present yourself. So it's, it's, it's this idea of, of like a prearranged meeting that's going to take place. And so I, 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 see, I see some meetings. I see some rendezvous from uh, these passages of Scripture. And the first one I see, um, we see in Isaiah chapter 65, first one I want to I touch on is uh, God has a rendezvous uh, with the curse. When we think about the curse, um, you know, as I'm as I'm thinking about this passage, I think of thermodynamics. And some of you are that are not science nerds like me are probably wondering what is what is thermodynamics. I I'm not you know a big science guy, but I, I know about this one. And uh, thermodynamics is this idea. It's this doctrine of naturally rising disorder. It's pretty firmly established science. Okay. Um, Here's some practical examples of thermodynamics. If I drive into the Walmart parking lot, there's a pretty good chance before I leave that there might be some paint that's scraped off my vehicle or maybe a dig in my door. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to throw Walmart under the bus. It's just a big populated area. You can say the same thing about Newland Stadium or a lot of other places. But we see this principle at work all the time, right? Um, I think about my wife, Bethany, who works tirelessly, you know, um, in our flower beds, weeding the flower beds, spraying our lawn, get rid of the weeds. I mean, we, we see this idea that if we just let things stay how they are, then, then disorder is going to occur, okay? So some of you right now, some of you kids are probably thinking about your, your bedrooms right now, okay? Uh, parents, you know what I mean. There's, there's this, this idea of rising disorder. Uh, maybe you're thinking about a coworker's desk uh, at work. Okay, um, but but we know that this is uh, this is a reality that we deal with, and really, if you think about it, the law of thermodynamics is a result of the curse, right? I mean, it is it is why things are the way that they are, why this law is in effect. But what we see from this passage is that God is going to reverse the curse. He is going to um, set conditions uh, back to how they were. And, before um, the flood, actually, we see that that uh, people are going to live longer. We see that the relationship among God's creatures is going to change. There's going to be, um, you know, even the, the eating habits of some of these animals are going to change. Um, the and we talked a lot of last week about how the spiritual uh, relationship is going to change between Jerusalem and God. And Jerusalem again is is going to be the capital city of God's new creation. So we see that the curse has uh, a rendezvous with God. God has a rendezvous with the curse. And the days of the curse are, are limited. 
we know, we just sing about the world is broken. We know that there is, there is sin, there's evil in the world, but God is saying there is going to be a day where that is going to end. Now, you might be, be saying, okay, that, Justin, that's great news. I mean, I, I, I can get on board with that, but, but what about the, the present? Because we're, you're talking about the future, and, and you know, there's sickness, and there's, there's, there's pain, and there's difficulty that we know we're going to endure in this life. And we have to deal with that. We have to, we have to deal with the reality of the curse. Um, but here's how we deal with that, okay? We have to choose to have faith that God is faithful and is going to deliver on His promises. In other words, we wait on the Lord in faith. And we even see this in this passage of Scripture, uh, how the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they say, we have waited on the Lord and He has saved us. We talked this morning uh, in, in, uh, in Sunday school about how Saul had a choice whether he was going to wait on the Lord or whether he was going to wait on the Lord's man, Samuel. And Saul made the wrong choice, right? He did not wait on the Lord. Um, but you and I are going to face faith decisions where, like Saul, are we going to choose to wait on the Lord? Are we going to continue to live by faith? Um, St. Augustine wrote in his book, Confessions, he opened this book this way. He said, you made us for yourselves. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Sin makes us restless. The curse makes us restless. Um, but God says, come to me, all you are, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we know that God has a rendezvous with the curse. Um, a few months ago, I, I picked up a copy of the book uh, by Michael Kelly. Wednesdays were pretty normal. I think uh, my sister's read it before. And I, I'm sure my brother's read it. Trevin, maybe Weston's read it too. But it chronicles uh, a family that's dealing with, with the awful reality of having a child diagnosed with cancer. And I was, I was moved and encouraged about how this family responded and how this father responded. And there was one passage that, that really kind of jumped out at me, um, and, and I'm, I, I want to share it with you. It says, he writes, this was a moment when we couldn't just have faith. We had to choose faith. It had to be as conscious as any other decision, like choosing to exercise in the morning. Faith needed to be disciplined. And just like calling yourself out of bed to go for a jog at 5 a.m., choosing faith was hard, annoyingly hard, frustratingly hard. But in its hardness, I also began to realize that I don't get the old adage that faith is a crutch for the weak to lean on. If you choose to believe in the God of the Bible, you have to believe everything about Him. To take God's love is also to take His justice. If my family was really going to choose faith, then we would have to come to grips with the fact that there are parts of God that at best we don't understand, at worst we don't even like. We can no longer pick and choose certain parts of our belief system. We had to embrace all of it. And so God's people, uh, we choose faith. We choose that God is going to deliver on His promises. And we choose to wait on the Lord. And it's a choice that you and I are, are going to have to make one way or the other. If you look back at Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9, uh, Isaiah writes, Look, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. We know that one day God is going to end the curse. And, and secondly, we see that God has a rendezvous with death. Death is the most powerful aspect of the curse. But we see from this passage that God is going to have a rendezvous with death. When Jesus conquered the grave on Resurrection Sunday... He defeated the most powerful force of the cursed death. And this was a, this was a major defeat. Uh, when we 
in the military, we use different terms, you know, and they're very precise terms. So if you give a, a commander a mission to defeat the enemy, that means something different than if you give that commander a mission to destroy the enemy, okay? Two different outcomes. When Resurrection Sunday occurred, Jesus defeated the enemy, and it was, it was a powerful defeat. It shocked, shocked the forces of evil. Um, but it was, he did not destroy them because uh, you and I have experienced uh, loved ones who have, who have died. And you and I will, will uh, one day die because of our sin. But he defeated the, the most powerful aspect of the curse. He defeated death uh, through his own resurrection. Never been done before. Through his own power, he walked out, out of that grave. But we know from this passage that God has another rendezvous with death. With, with death. And this time... He is going to destroy death. It is going to be complete annihilation, complete um, destruction of, of death. We see in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 and 8, he says, On this mountain he will destroy the burial shroud. Those are brave clothes. The shroud over all the peoples, the sheep covering all the nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. The Lord has spoken. We look at uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul discusses the first fruits of death's defeat, and that's Jesus' resurrection. But then Paul talks about death's coming destruction. So if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 23, Paul writes, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward it is coming, those who belong to Christ. And we're going to defeat death too if we are in Christ. In verse 24, he says, Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. And then if we skip down to verse 54, he writes, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you notice the parallels between uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians about put God putting everything under Jesus' feet, and then Isaiah says the earth is, is his footstool? And that includes everything, every aspect of the earth, and that includes the painful aspect of death. It is going to be under his feet. He is going to crush it. When you think of it, that, that term is used for domination, and, and Jesus is going to dominate and destroy death. And that means the enemies of God are going to be subjugated and destroyed as well. Uh, the ruler of this world, Satan, is going to be cast out. We see that um, in John 12, 31. Jesus says, uh, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And we know that there are forces and darkness uh, has, has power over this earth. But Paul restates the truth that by claiming that God has put everything under Jesus' feet. And that's why he can go on to taunt death later on in this passage. He says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because Paul had witnessed the risen Jesus who had defeated death. He saw him on the road uh, to Damascus. And he had encountered him. And he saw that. He had defeated death. And he knows, he had, so he can boldly say with confidence that the power of death is, is, is waning when it comes to uh, the power of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. And I love what, what my brother Trevin wrote. He, wrote. he wrote on his blog, Kingdom People. By the way, if you're not subscribed to Kingdom People, you're doing it wrong, so you need to go ahead and do that. 
But Trevin helped me write this message a little bit by, by writing this. I love what he wrote. He says, when we trust in Jesus, when we believe that he is the resurrection and the life, and when we repent of our sins and put our faith in him as our Savior and Lord, we are reconnected to the source of life. We are reunited to God, our Creator. So even if this body of mine will die, it will not stay dead forever. When we die, our spirits go immediately to be with Jesus, and our bodies await the day of resurrection when Christ returns to harvest the seeds we plant in the ground. That's why we can die defiantly. We can look at our last enemy square in the face, take one last breath, hear one last pulse of our heart, and say this, I will breathe again. This heart will beat again. This body will rise again because my sins are gone. And my Savior got up from that grave. Amen. So God has a rendezvous with curse. God has a rendezvous with death. But God also has a rendezvous with his people. We see this throughout these passages in Isaiah. God is worth waiting for because in the waiting, he walks with us. God walks with us through the dark times. He walks with us through the valleys. He comforts us. He strengthens us. Uh, we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 40, God renews the strength of those who wait on him. So his people wait on him, and he gives them the strength to keep pressing on. But God is also preparing a reward for his people. We see this in this passage. We see this feast that's, that's unfolding in this passage. In Isaiah 66, God also says he looks favorably on his people. So he looks favorably on his people, and he's going to prepare a feast for his people. Um, we see that peace and prosperity are going to flow to Jerusalem from across the world. And Jerusalem is going to be the epicenter of where God demonstrates his power and his, his love for his people. It's going to be the capital city of the new earth. And all nations are going to be represented in, in New Jerusalem and administering God's worship service. It's going to be a continual worship service. People are going to come across the world. They're going to take part in it. And God is going to, he's going to absorb them into his administering his worship services. Um, and at this point, the period of waiting is over. It's time to celebrate. God's promises are being fulfilled. Now, I think it's important that Isaiah, he's careful to define who God looks favorably at. And this is, this is important for us to focus on. God looks favorably on, on people who are humble. We see in Isaiah 66, 1, 1 and 2, submissive in spirit and trembles at my word. And when I think about this passage, I think of so many uh, volunteers at, at Blackman Baptist who were humbly serving uh, BBS this week, who are serving in the nursery right now, who were maybe serving and teaching Sunday school this morning. I think about um, God's people who are submissive to the Spirit, men who met at 5 o'clock on Tuesday morning, who say, we want to be led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh. We want to instill some accountability in our lives, protect our families, protect us, and, and be led by the Spirit. Uh, we think about uh, so many uh, who honor God's Word and teach God's Word. Uh, they have a respect for God's Word. Um, this is how God's people are marked. They're marked by humility, submissiveness to the Lordship of Jesus, and reverence for God's Word. They're people who wait on the Lord, and they put their faith in God and His character and His promises into practice. And lastly, we see from this passage that God has a rendezvous with the wicked. We talked about the DNA of, of, the, of the righteous, of God's people. Uh, the DNA of the wicked is the exact opposite. 
It's people who are marked by pride. They're marked by arrogance. Uh, they have the spirit that people exist to serve them. They don't exist to serve others. Um, they have this rebellion toward God. They have this disdain for God's word. They don't, they don't really want to deal with the parts of God's word that they don't agree with. Um, they want to pick and choose. They want to put maybe their philosophy or their ideas above God's word. Um, that's rebellion. That's rebellion toward God. And the Bible says that God looks at them as, as wicked. Uh, they are not the ones that God is going to look favorably on. And their destiny is eternal death. Their destiny is the sword and fire. It's the judgment and wrath of God. Because God's justice demands that He deal with those who remain in sin and those who rebel against Him. Now, we think about this and we're like, okay, there's the righteous and there's the wicked. But isn't there kind of like this in-between, you know, people that are pretty good? Um, well, there's really not, okay? Um, and, and you can go to the New Testament and you can see this. If you, if you go to Mark chapter 10, 18, or chapter 10, we look at verse 18. The rich young ruler approaches Jesus. And I think he thought of himself as a pretty good person. I mean, we see this in the way he interacts with Jesus. He, he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. He wants what Jesus has to offer. And he calls him a good teacher. And Jesus stops him right there. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So what Jesus is doing is he's setting the terms of the conversation. He's saying, okay, you want to use this term good. Well, who decides what is good? No one is good except God alone. So that means only God decides what is good and who is good. And Jesus is God. So he's perfectly positioned to have this conversation uh, with the rich young ruler. And so he's trying to head him off in the past. Before he starts talking about all the good things he's done, Jesus says, first of all, you, you, you got to be good. Um, and the truth is, is that none of us are good. If, if you don't believe me, take, don't take my word for it. Read Romans chapters 1 and 2. We are all enemies of God. We have all turned and rebelled against God. And we all, um, our destiny for all of us is hell. But God um, intervened for us through Jesus. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to go to Nuremberg in Germany. You know anything about Nuremberg? It's... it's uh, it's, it's, it was kind of the, the golden age of, of Nazism in Germany. They had this massive rally there um, where Adolf Hitler was, was really you know, kind of glorified. And, and it was also became the site of the Nuremberg trials after the war where justice was um, executed for these, uh, these war criminals, people that did heinous things. And I remember uh, reading about one of these uh, war criminals that they were talking to and said, why did you do these things? You know, such evil things. Um, you know, the, the, the Holocaust and, and uh, the atrocities committed against the Jewish people in Europe. And he said they were vermin. I mean, he saw them as subhuman. He saw himself as good and doing good things by murdering, you know, Jewish people and doing evil. And it... It's a powerful example of self-deception, and sin leads to self-deception. We want to set the terms and um, how we come to God. That's what the, the rich young ruler wanted to do with Jesus. That's what Saul wanted to do uh, when he was waiting for Samuel. He wanted to set the conditions and set the terms for how he was going to interact with God. But God says, you got to come to me on my terms. And 
you and I are, are like that rich young ruler. We face a choice. Are we going to come to God on His terms, or are we going to try to do things our own way? Are we going to continue to persist in our own, own way and rebel against God? And if you're separated from God by remaining in sin, I have good news for you, though. Your, your destiny can change today. You don't have to have the destiny of the wicked. You can have the destiny of the righteous, of being God's people. And you can have the hope of heaven and of eternal life uh, by surrendering to God, by admitting that you are a sinner and turning away from your sin and receiving God's forgiveness and grace. So, to recap this message from Isaiah, you see that God has a rendezvous with the curse. God has a rendezvous with death, the most powerful aspect of the curse. He's going to destroy it forever. Good news. God has a rendezvous with His people. He's coming back for His people. He is going to liberate and save His people. And God has a rendezvous with the wicked. They're going to be a poor to mankind. They're going to be a reminder of God's justice and that He deals with sin. Uh, so that's a warning uh, for those who, who have not turned to Christ and, and maybe friends and family that we need to tell uh, and share the good news with Christ so that their, their rendezvous with destiny can change forever in a good way.